0: Hi, I am Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast. The show where I interview influential people in the health, fitness, and well-being space to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. My guest today, I've been looking forward to this one for quite a while. I'm quite pleased that we've been able to get her on the show. Probably the funkiest title you'll hear in any sort of business context, and that is Chief Heart Officer, specifically at a company called VaynerMedia, which many of you might have heard of. Her name is Claude Silver, and her role is to infuse the agency with empathy. She describes herself as an emotional optimist, And her background is over 20 years with Fortune 500 companies. She is very much a thought leader in all things HR, culture, employee engagement and retention, really blending creativity with culture, with energy, and intersecting that with empathy and performance, which is a a curious blend of attributes and and things that a business requires. You can contact Claude at Claude Silva. So that's Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, Silva.com at Claude Silva, at Twitter and Instagram, and her company is, or the company she works at is veinamedia.com. But we'll put all that in the show notes, and we'll go through that again at the end. Claude, welcome
1: to the show. Liam, thank you so much, and thank you for that incredible intro. Oh,
0: well, the one thing I did miss out is that you two have a podcast, so what's it like being on the other side of the microphone? <laughs> it's very strange. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? When it's me on the other side of the mic, I like it. It's like, you know, you've got to be a reasonably engaging guest, haven't you? But the onus is on the other person to ask the right questions to draw you out. It feels easier being on the other side.
1: And You know, someone actually took my Instagram stories that I was telling and stripped the audio and put all of that into podcast form. So right now, it's just me a minute long each episode. So I I haven't gone into the dark side of sitting where you're sitting and doing
0: Oh well, it's a lot of fun if you're tempted, but that does sound like an easy way of getting your message out. The podcast, we should say, is called The Silver Lining, of course. And it's available on iTunes. That does explain it. I was listening as I was in transit earlier on and it cut out. And I thought, oh, I've lost signal, I've lost connection, but I hadn't. That was my minute. (laughs) Okay. Let's get stuck in because there are loads of things I want to ask you about. And there's been quite an interest on LinkedIn and other social media channels when I said we were getting you on the show. So I know there's lots of things that people want me to ask you about. But let's start here, you know who was your inspiration in terms of empathy and the really unique way that you blend EQ with business life? Who was your inspiration for that?
1: Hands down. It was my Nana. Your Nan? Yeah, my Nan. Nana B. And she passed away two years now. She was alive for 101 years And she inspired me every day of her life. We had an an incredibly close relationship from when I was a youngster up until her last breath. And she was a person that was filled with generosity, a huge heart, empathy. She was of joyful service every day. And do you know what was on her answering machine? Hmm. Up until she no longer had an answering machine, a voicemail. And her recording said, Would you do me a favor and have a nice day? <laughs> and that was it. that was it. <laughs> and she inspired me every day of my life. Every, every day. In fact, we just named our daughter Shalom B in honor of her. So That's every day. Yeah, she inspired me. And she was a heck of a businesswoman. I think she started when she was about six years old in her her father's store way up in Chicago, you know, in the, I don't know, 1920s or so, 1910. And she worked up until she was 85 at Saks Fifth Avenue in Los Angeles. So she was everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What were the main things you took from her? Never complain. Mm -hmm. Look on the sunny side of life. So being an optimist. And she would say, have a lot of sex and... (laughs) Shot of whiskey every night. So one of those I don't do. And all of those, no. <laughs> you know, I took positivity from her. I took a can-do attitude, an extremely hard work ethic, and just a wanting to be of service, quite frankly. Yeah. Did
0: you say she worked in a department store? She did. She worked, yeah. with,
1: you know, maybe like Harrods, I would say, but she had this ability to connect with anyone and everyone. And I identified with that at, a year, at an early age, and it's something I, I'm i honored that I can carry the torch. Yeah. So when you were younger, how did you start putting that into practice? I started with sports, quite frankly. I was an athlete at an early age. I learned the benefits of team and building teams and connecting with teams and whether or not it was playing you know american soccer or football or baseball or tennis the collaboration that's needed when you work on teams and that's carried me far and wide in my life so that i think my parents also instilled a charitable side of myself and my brother and that we were to give back to people who were less fortunate when i was mm-hmm. a kid the first job i ever wanted was to be a philanthropist I didn't know what the word philanthropist was necessarily. I just knew that it was someone that made people's lives easier by bestowing large amounts of money to them. Well, I didn't have the large amounts of money necessarily, but I knew that I could give something. And what I chose to give was friendship and being a good teammate. And, you know, it, it's carried me through today. I was, to ask, I was going to ask you actually what your values are. And I guess you've just articulated two of them.
0: What are the other things that are really important to you in terms of values today?
1: Yeah. I have to say one of the things at the top of the list is humility. Mm-hmm. Another one is accountability. Accountability slash integrity. I think I came to accountability and integrity a little bit later in my life, probably my mid to late 20s, which isn't surprising necessarily as you start to the house and whatnot. Mm. But I realized that when I said I was going to do something or said I was going to be somewhere, I needed to be there. Yeah. So that's really important to me in friendship and relationship and work. Positivity, optimism is a huge value of mine and transparent communication, I have to say. You know, the list goes on and on and that's obviously happiness and love, but those are really the top ones. I, I really believe that as a leader, we have this incredible honor to guide people rather than to be heroes. I think our job is to turn others into heroes. Mm-hmm. And so whatever value is is in that sentence, that's a top one for me. And I think that actually is humility, quite frankly, but it's the ability to see greatness or see possibility in others. Mm. Okay. Now, just taking you back then to the sports team,
0: so we, we don't kind of rush ahead. Obviously, you would have got a lot of those qualities and seen them work efficiently in, in mobilizing teams in the sporting arena. What happened then when you got into some of those Fortune 500 companies? What did you find and how much did that knock and challenge your values?
1: Well, and this isn't to do any of them wrong. They're all Excel products that we all use in many cases. Why, um, I tell you what, I saw a lot of hierarchy, and I didn't see the benefit of a lot of hierarchy other than the devaluation of others, the inefficiency that it caused, the silence that it caused around the table, Mm. some sexism. I saw things that didn't make sense. They didn't make simple sense to me. And I am, for the most part, I think fairly simple in that I like very simple equations. I'm not a mathematician. So just give me really A plus B equals C. And when I see that things get very matrixed or political for no real apparent reason, I get confused. So I I imagine others get confused, but we go along with it silently, you know, because that's just the way we're told to Mm. operate. And I don't think life needs to be that difficult.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess the traditional ways that we've done business are not Particularly well set up for people. It's it's a little bit. It's more automated. It's really about the bottom line in many of these organisations. I mean, how did you break away from that? Because I know a lot of people listening will will be in organisations that are very staid or very hierarchical. I know some sort of modern, more modern businesses or more recent businesses. I mean, even we've just started hiring based on values, for example, having been in business for three years, and that's made a huge amount of difference. But know how would you help people who are in organisations that are very? inflexible if you like you know what kind of strategies are there to try and introduce more of this eq more of this empathy that you're very practiced at
1: yeah i mean i think it's empathy i think it's also equality and respect quite frankly and those things start with creating a place of belonging for people mm. so i think it's very difficult to speak up in an organization where one does not feel safe where one doesn't feel respected uh, where one doesn't feel seen, which equates to equality. And so when you don't have the luxury of those you know, common human needs, life can be quite lonely at work. It does take connecting with people, and you know that if you feel it, other people feel it. Remember that. Mm. You're, never, you're never alone. And human beings, were wired to belong or wired to connect with one another. So very practically, I'd say, find those others that believe in positive change, not cynicism, not gossip, but that want to change things for the better. Culture shifts happen on the fringes and then they come mainstream. And I believe that happens or can happen in organizations as well. If you're not in a positive culture or a healthy culture, because your CEO or senior leaders didn't dictate it or mandate it, that doesn't mean it can't happen. Find your crew and start small. It's just about intention. It doesn't Mm. need to be, you know, the tallest person wins. It's just about intention. Size doesn't matter all the time. Mm. And right off the bat, that's what I would say immediately.
0: Yeah. It it might be that the organization is not a good fit either, potentially. You know, there could be that. But let's talk specifically about culture then. It's come up a few times. How would you define culture?
1: Very simply, I define culture as the pulse of an organization. I think that culture exists in the shadows. It is very hard to see culture sometimes, but you can feel culture. And so it is a culture, you might feel electricity, you might feel a vibration, you might feel a dead culture, but I think it is the pulse, the texture of the people. And culture and heart to me are very synonymous. I mean, I think culture is the operating system of a a corporation or organization, and heart is the operating system of a human being. Mm. So to me, they're very synonymous. And how would
0: you describe the culture at VaynerMedia, for example, which is where you are now?
1: We have a really collaborative culture. We have a culture that I always like to define as a we, not an I culture, meaning there's not a lot of visible ego. It is one where we are wanting others to succeed because we succeed. We're on teams, so you're not alone. You're not solo operators here. And it's a friendly culture. I walk up and down the hallway or walk into the kitchen and always saying hi to people. So it's a friendly, collaborative, we, we not I meritocracy, I would say. And how have you managed to
0: maintain that even though you scaled very, very quickly, I think. Isn't it something like 30 to 750 people in in just a handful of years?
1: Well, yeah, we're nine and a half years old. And I started in May of 2014. I was employee 389 and we're -hmm. all into the 800s now. So we've doubled that. And in doubling that, we've also acquired companies. We've set up shop in the UK. We're about to open in Singapore we have so many different offerings now. So our growth spurt has been real. The key to scaling our culture is very high touch, one-on-one or small town hall meetings, I believe, where myself, Gary, others have the ability to really listen to what's going on with someone. A, you have to make a safe space. You have to create a place where people feel like they can be transparent or they can be vulnerable and share with you Mm -hmm. what are they feeling, where their hardships are, their roadblocks are. And you have to then act. And I think that's a real key verb because it is Mm -hmm. one thing to listen to people. That is huge and to recognize people. But then if you are in that place of being able to do something, then do something. Move the needle, connect the dots, make things easier so that People see that you're working for them. Hmm. That's in a nutshell how we scale. I mean, we've created culture champions with people that have, you know, we have a lot of longevity here.
0: Right.
1: The first one, two, and three employees that started nine and a half years ago are still here. The longevity here creates somewhat of shorthand, I believe, where you know what that person's saying even without really getting in depth with a large conversation. I mean, there's a certain DNA here, I think, of Vayner Media that people really feel. And I do believe that's something that is translated into our other offices, albeit with their own nuance. London has a very, you know, London is a very different culture than America. Chattanooga, Tennessee is a very different culture than New York. Yeah. So... Making sure that I am spending enough time with every person that Gary is, that other people are, and that we are getting out of our chairs and walking the halls and going into other offices and feeling that texture and having healthy conversations that we're not hiding. We are being as transparent as we possibly can. Mm. Okay. So you're allowing for
0: the cultural differences and nuances of different locations, you yourself are out there, Gary's out there, you're walking the floors, you're getting a real sense. You know, it's a classic open door policy, getting a real feel for the culture, being very visible. Then you've got the culture champions. What do they do?
1: So, a perfect example the culture champions are people that I have found, or Gary has found, that we can go to anytime. And for example, if someone is having a hard day, or they just started and they don't feel like they're stuck in yet to VaynerMedia or what it is we do. I set them up with 10 different coffees. And they're going to meet this person and that person and that person, maybe in the course of three months, maybe in the course of two weeks. That's dependent on the schedule. And they get a different flair and flavor for what it is we do. Why are these people still here? Mm -hmm. Oh, I understand that department connects with this department. Oh, I understand what e-commerce does. It's really the we, not I that I'm talking about. It's a way to understand what is in our water here. What is it that we're drinking here? And why are people still here? Is it the magic of Gary V? (laughs) Or is it the fact that we are going someplace every single day you feel the momentum in these hallways? What is it? And so culture champions literally are people that we know I can count on. I know I can trust. And they will be able to create that safe vessel that I'm talking about. (laughs) so someone can be themselves.
0: Yeah. No, I, I love it. We should probably talk a bit about Gary because we've both re- referred to him and explain what Vayner do. I mean, I know what you do. I know very well, but some people listening, believe it or not, might not know. They might not have heard of Gary. So just introduce us to Gary and what Vayner Media do.
1: Yeah, I love it. And I love when people don't know who Gary is. It's exciting. <laughs> so Gary Vaynerchuk is our CEO, founder and CEO, and he does not come from the world of advertising. He has been an entrepreneur and a salesman for quite some time. He started a a very successful wine business and then found his way into the agency life. He is an entrepreneur. He sees possibility everywhere he looks. He sees something else that is possible to build or to create and is electric. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. There's a difference between Gary Vaynerchuk, the CEO, who I work with, and Gary V, the brand. Mm -hmm. So he has a very large brand and a very large following. His brand is constantly speaking about patience, empathy, social media marketing, business, education, positivity, so forth and so on. And of course, that trickles into VaynerMedia Media and is something that our clients and consumers, I think, are both interested in, as well as our employees here. Hmm. He's really magnetizing, and I think he's a huge mentor to anyone that really is open to his, his way. But I got to tell you something. This is the only agency I would work in now. It's one that I find there's so much possibility here for even myself at way into my 40s now, as well as the millennial generation who we know are you know, really wanting to be autonomous and job craft, architect their own careers and have transparent conversation. This is a place for them to thrive. Yeah.
0: You mentioned Gary, he's written many books, Crushing It Being One, Jab, Jab, Jab. Is it Left Hook or Right Hook? I ought to know. Right Hook? (laughs) Right Hook, it must be. I box, so to throw a left hook at the end of three jabs is a tall order. Jab, 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 oh. right hook is another book. but He's written a few, and we'll link to all of that in the show notes and to Gary's social media links as well. But back to you, back to Vayner specifically. What's the average age of the employee in the organization? I'm imagining it's quite young.
1: Yeah, well, today it varies between about 27.5 and 29. Right. Um, when I started, it was 23. But it is a very young generation here that one that we've seen – entering into different life stages. And I think that's really incredible. When the 23-year-olds grow into 27-year-olds start getting engaged or getting married, they're having babies. And that's something that's really exciting to see how people change based on their priorities outside. Mm. How they bring that change into their day-to-day.
0: Yeah. Give me an example of that.
1: So... A perfect example would be the, the person that comes in here around 24, 25, ends up getting engaged at 29. A good portion of the agency goes to that engagement party. <laughs> and then two years later, we had a baby. We now have probably around 50, 50 babies. Right. Vein of baby. Yeah, of babies. I think when we started, I when I started, I, I, there might have just been one. Yeah. So. Watching that happen, seeing, you know, obviously we're, we're very wired on social media. So seeing their mm-hmm. families on social media or the engagement party. I, this morning, in fact, when I went on Twitter, one of the key people on Team Gary, Gary's team, had a photo of himself down on one knee asking his girlfriend to marry. Mm-hmm. And now we all see that. And, you know, his day has been a celebration here at work. Yeah. And that's exciting, by the way, because. When we talk about culture and we talk about how each and every person is responsible for cultivating the culture here, we have to remember that each human being has a life inside of work and outside of work. And that means they have life events happening to them. They have engagements, they have deaths, they have dogs that need to go to the vet. They have brothers or sisters who are graduating from high school, whatnot. All of these things we need to take into account that's they're, they're bringing that to work. Mm. And so we want to be really mindful and empathetic, even of the person that didn't get the promotion or the person that did get the promotion, but not the raise they wanted. Yeah. All of these things get rolled into what makes a human being unique, but also what makes this culture the texture that it is on any given day. Yeah. I think it's, you know, I
0: hate the expression work-life balance because it implies that there's a balance to be struck if only you work hard enough. And of course there isn't. I've never met anyone that says, yeah, this much work, this much leisure time, that's the balance. Work-life blend is probably a better expression because I think work has been blending into personal lives for quite a long time now. So what I'm seeing in the in the study and the research I'm doing amongst companies like Vayner is that... People are now. Well, organizations are trying to create a culture where you can bring your whole self to work. So there's a bit more bleed of you as a person into the role you do and the environment in which you do it. Which sounds to me like it's it's what you're saying.
1: It is. It absolutely is. I think there's a really nice camaraderie here within each and every office where that safety, that sense of belonging, is something that we strive hard to achieve. Mm. And that's something that's on my mind on a you know, a minute by minute basis as yeah. uh, really ensuring that we're striking that balance here.
0: Yeah. I read somewhere that it is part of your role to understand what the dreams and aspirations are of those 800 or so humans that you that you work for. How do you do that? Or am I, am I right? Did I read it correctly, first of all?
1: Oh, no, you're right. You're right. right. Yeah. yeah. it's My job is to know every single employee here. And that means Knowing what makes them tick, mm-hmm. you know, I, I ask people questions. I I pry into their lives in ways that that I'm invited into. Yeah. Do you follow them all on social? No, I don't.
0: Be a bridge too far.
1: Yeah, bridge too far. Although <laughs> I, I see as many as I want to, but yeah, I ask questions. I love the question. You know, what did you want to be when you were a kid? And mm-hmm. you grew up or how did you get here? Oh, you are a liberal arts major and yet you're working with the e com team. That's fascinating. How did you make that switch? Mm. You were an actor. Wow. An improv comic. How did you, Oh, what made you want to write copy? I'm inquisitive in ways that I think make the conversation one that is both fun and curious. And my hope is that when they leave the 15 minute meeting with me or half an hour meeting with me that no matter what they feel, they feel brighter. They feel seen, they feel more energized. They feel like someone's got their back.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, I love that. I want to ask you how you recruit people. Is it very much a values-based recruitment process or how do you go about doing that?
1: So, You know, something I am proud of here is about three years ago, right around the time I I stepped into the chief art officer role, I changed what we were saying in terms of hiring because it struck me that we had a lot of same, same, same and not enough diversity. Mm. So I started to say we are hiring for skill set fit and culture addition rather than culture fit Mm -hmm. because culture fit was getting us the same people. So split fit, obviously, you can imagine what that is. It's much more specialized. And the culture addition allows us to widen our net, make sure that we are looking for the best candidate, but taking into account diversity and inclusivity of all sorts. So whether or not that is race, ethnicity, sexuality, sexual orientation, seen, unseen disabilities values, you know, values in the same postal code, but maybe not the same expression of empathy. You know, we're not looking for apples and apples and apples. We want, we want the whole fruit basket here. So that was an enormous change that we made across the entire agency. We've done a lot of interview training, a lot of unconscious bias training. So, you know, we dig deep in terms of the amount of energy we spend on recruitment and hiring because it is our lifeblood. One terrific hire that goes you know, to the end of time, but one bad hire disrupts everyone. So it's a delicate balance. Now, when there's a hire in a, in a senior role, maybe a, a senior vice president role, a group creative director, I will most likely meet that person. Gary will most likely meet that person. And that's important. Not that we are the end all deal, but it's important when we're bringing in that much firepower to know who's going to be really leading some of these major teams that we have. And, you know, people management is a skill set in its own. Yeah. Do you get them in to actually spend some
0: time with the team, maybe do a day on the job as it were?
1: You know, on Team Gary we do and some of our creative roles we do. We have a residency program or we have a you know, try before you buy, quite frankly. Mm. And I think that's really good for everyone involved, especially in roles that are more specialized. Let me be clear. Mm. But the interview process itself and the questions that we're asking and how we are looking to see if this person will be sensitive to others and will play nicely in the sandbox and will be a we, not I, these are questions that we have gone through many, many, many times with people that are interviewing. And, you know, I think we have a fairly good batting average. I don't think it's excellent, but of course it's human beings. So we're all works in progress. Indeed. Yeah. We're much,
0: much, much smaller. We're 10 people in in body shop, which is my company. But this time around we we did some recruiting for a self-support person who's also going to be doing content management. And Rather than look at CVs and skill sets, we had the briefest, most cursory look at the CV. And then I just said, I've got my PA to set up a 10 to 20 minute phone call with them. And we just talked about their values, what was important to them, what their dreams and aspirations were. And then I asked them about the five values of body shot and how they thought they matched up against those. And depending on those answers, we signposted, you know, they were either, yep, yeah, well, we'll see them face to face or no, we won't. Now, the proof is still in the pudding because we've hired someone. At some point, she'll be listening to this, but she's just a few weeks into it. But so far, so very good. And I think that's probably a much more intelligent way of hiring people. I hear what you're saying about if you get a cultural fit, you get the same. But we're not at a size where that's an issue yet. But I think rather than just going for skills, great, you can do the job. We're actually trying to get people that really match our values. And I think in a health business, that's really important having someone on the team that doesn't value health as much, you know, you don't have to have, there's no fitness entry levels into this company, for example, but you do need to value your health. You do need to have a really strong connection between movement and mood, for example, or food and mood, and a a sense of connection between when I exercise, I feel good, therefore I'm I'm better at what I do. So it has been really powerful for us and a real eye-opener in terms of our hiring process.
1: Yes. I love that. I think to echo what you're saying, there needs to be a appreciation and a connection of who you're bringing and the values of that organization. Otherwise you'll find yourself in a bad place very quickly.
0: Yeah. And I want to get your thoughts on something that came up in an entrepreneur's meetup. I was at the other day. If you think about as an entrepreneur, you have a vision for where you want to end up or for your company, or maybe it's the same thing. How do you get people on board to buy into that vision And the challenge, I suppose, is if your vision is to exit for 5 million in five years' time and go around the world on a yacht, no one that's coming to work for you is going to connect with that. So it's having a vision, which might be your personal vision, but establishing values of the company and they're separate things, and then you would hire people whose values match that of the company, Mm. which I guess also comes back to purpose. You know, I've got perhaps my own vision for where I want this business to take me, But the purpose of the company is different. The purpose of our company is to educate you to prolong your health span through personalized health, fitness, and well-being. So we want people who share that sense of purpose. I'm not sharing my personal vision because it won't motivate anyone. (laughs) But the purpose hopefully will. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, actually, I think that's an interesting question. I absolutely am in your camp. I think that people have personal purposes that may never enter into their work purpose or the company's purpose. But I do also think there needs to be some kind of alignment so that you're not really speaking Greek and speaking English. I think that there needs to be some kind of crossover on the X and Y mm-hmm. axis. And and I say that because I think the employee would find more enjoyment if they could attach themselves to a purpose that the company was all about. It yeah. doesn't have to be identical. I mean, my purpose is, is very much facilitating growth and change among people, teams, and companies. I'm mm-hmm. working purpose. I'm doing exactly that. We could also take my purpose and me into a football team, and I would do it. And I'm not passionate about football at all. However, I'm passionate about team building. Mm-hmm. But I do think that there needs to be some kind of relationship between the two, although I don't think that they need to be identical, and I don't think they need to be known by everyone. So one of the things that I do a lot of when I do coaching here is work with people on their individual purpose or guiding principles, whatever nomenclature feels best to them. I find that all human beings, and especially the millennial generation and the generation coming up after them, are interested in finding work that means something.
0: Mm.
1: And if I take the phrase work that means something, I find purpose in there.
0: Yeah, I did some work recently with an asset management company. They'd established some guiding principles. And we were having a conversation about how do you get all the levels of the organization to really fill that sense of meaning? Because essentially what they do is look after the money of, of typically some relatively wealthy, aging white men. How do you get excited about that? And I thought, well, let's look at the ways that those clients invest their money. Are they investing in social causes? Are they investing in entrepreneurs who are solving meaningful problems in the world? And when you look at it like that, they are facilitating the wealth that is then being redistributed in really meaningful ways. That changes the complexion of things quite a bit. And then there's taking a pride in, in the very specific type of work they do. And I, I think that's really important. And what I was going to, I think it's important for anyone of any generation, but particularly for millennials. But how would you describe the needs of a millennial, given that you've got an organization full of them? Is it much different? Because there's a lot of stereotyping and generalizations been made about millennials, which I'm keen to sort of veer away from. But is looking after an organization of predominantly, if not exclusive, well, pretty much millennial generation. Is that much different? And, and how do you reflect that in the way that you try and attract them into the organization?
1: Yeah, so great question. I don't think it's much different. I think they're more vocal. Mm. I think that we've all wanted some level of autonomy and some level of transparent communication in our lives, in our work lives. We all want feedback and growth. I don't know anyone that wants to be micromanaged or doesn't want our managers to be invested in our roadmap to success. So I think probably the one thing that might be a little bit different is the emphasis that this generation places on recognition.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Now, I think all human beings need recognition, deserve recognition. I wonder if this generation is just a little bit louder about getting it or their need for it. But you know, other than that, I don't see that, oh my gosh, we have a brand new generation here and they have completely different human needs than, you know, Gen Xers like myself. I just don't, I just don't Mm. see that. Anyway, so going back to our interview process and going back to some of the questions that we're asking or some of the answers we're listening for, they do revolve around growth and development. If you're a manager coming in as a senior leader, we are absolutely going to want to know how you've built teams. Mm. We are going to absolutely want to know how you disseminate information to those teams that's natural. And we'll ask questions that are applicable to that. I believe that we can probably, you know, listen for if that person is going to be a controlling micromanaging person. And that's, Mm. that's not going to work here. I just, Mm. I mean, that won't work here and we might, you know, one might slip through the crack, but I guarantee you that won't last.
0: Mm. Are you very much of the sort of higher, slowly fire quickly mentality?
1: Getting into that, we're getting into that mode. Mm. For sure, I think as our culture evolves and as we're we scaling and we're so, you know, we're fast, mm. we have to make sure, ensure that we are letting people know where they stand often so that there are no surprises. You know, I did a, a check the other day, some, uh, you know, very senior person. And um, what do you think she said? The first thing she said is, I'm not surprised. Hmm. And that was good to hear. Mm. It was very good to hear. Had she said, I've never heard this, I don't know what, then, you know, I'm already on the back foot. Mm. And then we haven't done our job. So not that, you know, I would rather people not be surprised. I would rather people know where they stand. And when I'm meeting with someone and it's apparent to me that they don't know where they stand, or there's some kind of missing link between them and their manager, That's something that I will do. I will either encourage and coach them to speak to the manager, or that's an area in which I will get myself involved in very neutrally, like Switzerland, Hmm. but to just give that manager some coaching again around, you know, this is your role. You are a leader. You are here to turn that person into a hero, you you know, into a successful designer or a data scientist, you know, let's make a plan.
0: Hmm. Yeah. How often do you meet with your people, with your managers?
1: I meet with everyone on a kind of ongoing basis. It depends on a couple of things. One, if I know that I need to meet with X, Y, and Z manager. So today, for example, I need to meet with a very senior manager. I passed this person in the hallway. I just got a weird feeling. And so I wrote her and she said, I'm really having a hard time. So that works out well. Hmm. Or I'll work with the department heads Without stepping on toes, and I'll say, you know, who should I meet with? You know, we're, you know, finishing out the year. There any, you know, you have ten people, I ten names, I can check in on, or I will do town halls, and my town halls, I will be diplomatic in how I include people there, and I could just meet with all people that have been here one hundred and eighty days or I can meet with all managers or I can meet with all department heads. You know, I I have the ability to select based on instinct and intuition or based on, you know, a little birdie told me I should probably speak to these people. Mm.
0: And I was going to ask you you specifically around how you blend empathy with the day-to-day running of a fast-growing commercial business, but you pretty much answered it. It's about being visible Having those meetings where people get a chance to feedback to you, using your EQ. When you walk past someone and you get a feeling, you have an awareness that something's not right, you communicate with them and lo and behold, it's not. And you maybe nip that in the bud before that person goes off on sick leave or becomes even more unhappy or depressed or miserable at work. And then that permeates down to their team. So I guess it's a lot to do with visibility, keeping all your senses alert to what's going on in the organization consulting your managers who need some of my time and attention. And I know that Gary does that as well. I've seen in his videos, he does, he goes on walkabout quite a bit, doesn't he?
1: He does. I mean, something I said recently at a keynote I gave it might last week, and it's something that I think Gary is very good at, is that, you know, we had the industrial revolution here and that was really all about muscle. And then we had, we moved into the information age and that's been about brains. But we are in an age now That is about heart. And Mm. the jobs today, I believe, need to incorporate or take note of heart, take note of humanity, bringing more humanity into the workplace. And so Gary does that in spades. That's why I'm here. That's why others are here. I'm fortunate. This is how I want to spend my time, you know, holding space for people and helping them identify what's in their way to their own greatness is an enormous honor. And, you know, it's when I'm sitting in a room and I get chills, you know, I can feel something really happening. It's Mm. it's exciting for me.
0: Yeah, no, I get that completely. I have a huge amount of respect for the the way in which you go about your craft. It's interesting you use the word heart. We have in some of the, the messages that we give out, heartfulness is one of them, which is an expression we coined, but I'm very sure we weren't the first. And heartfulness is really about two things. It's about... A contribution, So connecting with social causes or doing something that's really important to you. So one of the things I do that, that gives me great sense of heart is I'm a role model for a charity called Diversity Role Models. And we go into schools and we, I take part in workshops that are facilitated up to five times in the day to try and counter homophobic, biphobic and transphobic bullying. Mm-hmm. And it's hugely rewarding. You come out of there and you may have spoken to five classes of 25 kids, so up to 125 schoolchildren of various different ages to try and change the language they use, change, you know, the way they think about diversity and maybe to impact some of the children that might be feeling different, that may be, you know, having issues around their sexuality. So that's a very, very rewarding sort of work. And that's part of what we call heartfulness. Mm -hmm. The other part is reconnecting with aspects of yourself that might have got lost or pushed out along the way. So for example, you mentioned, I think, going down to talk to people about asking the question, what did you want to be? I'll ask the question of someone, what did you used to enjoy? The the convergent pressures of work and home have just squeezed out the bandwidth you got for it. Oh, I used to love reading, I used to love theatre, I used to love working out, I used to love horse riding, whatever it is, and trying to get people to start doing a little bit more of that as well. Mm -hmm. It's an organisation that we work with who are very conscientious to find out what it is that people like and then create time for them to do it within the working week, potentially. If it is working out, go to a class that suits you at a time that suits you, rather than waiting for your lunch break, for example. And I think they are the types of organizations that are going to attract the talent of the future. And it is going to be millennial talent because that's the generation that's coming up. It will be the companies that, like you, have empathy. They're interested in you bringing your whole person to work and and not suppressing or leaving some of that at the door. Organizations that are offering more flexible ways of working, which we haven't really talked about, but so for example, if you're a morning person, you can come in in the morning, work eight till four. If you're an evening person, that's your chronotype. You come in, you work 10 to six perhaps, but it's yeah. that flexibility and that empathy, an empathetic way of working that I think is going to be very much the future. So a whole, a whole ton of stuff in what I just said there, but feel free to pick up on anything that stood out for you.
1: Well, I love everything that you said. First of all, I just want to thank you for doing the diversity at work work mm. it was extremely oh, It's extremely great. Yeah. And as we really, really need to create these places where everyone feels as though they can belong and can bring their whole self to work, that's just an enormous, enormous piece of it. We have affinity groups here that have created themselves organically, whether or not that is our LGBT pride group, whether or not that is amigos, which are people that identify as Latinx, or we have a group for people that identify as asian these are very super super important i think not only for the individuals and for their subgroups but for the culture themselves Mm. and i can't say enough about that work that you're doing and the work that we try to do here when hiring Mm. and also when just supplying a place for people to come and bring it yeah And that does incorporate flex work. We're just cracking into that right now, just creating a proposal to share my team is with leadership. So we'll see how we get them in the year.
0: Oh,
1: yeah, I look forward to hearing about that. I'm mindful of time, Claude. So last question.
0: How do you look after your vitality and your energy and and yourself in such a fast-paced environment with so many humans to work alongside? How do you do it? What are some of the tactics you've got to keep yourself in good health? (laughs) And with a newborn,
1: I should add. I mean, I think the first one in this, I mean this in every sense of the word, is really having a positive outlook. Mm -hmm. That that right there has, you know, shaves a a good few years off of me. (laughs) I love music. I love listening to music in my headphones. I love going and seeing live music. I have a really wonderful handful of friends sprinkled all over the world that I can go to when I need that dose of energy or that dose of an air and that's something that I'm really pleased about as you get older in life you realize how important your friends are and those really really great friends yeah and now i have a newborn and you know what's better than to make sure that I have enough energy for her and and of course working out so I'm always open to new ideas if anyone has other ideas for keeping yourself well yeah for I.
0: I've probably got a ton of ideas. We can take it offline. Not that it sounds like you need it, but if you want some fresh ideas, yeah, we could take that offline. I've probably got tons for you to throw into the mix and see what works for
1: you. Amazing, thank
0: you. Okay. Okay, so Claude, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed that conversation. I, I know our audience will as well if people want to get hold of you it's claudsilver.com you're at claudsilver on twitter and instagram uh, the company url is vayner media v-a-y-n-e-r media.com have i missed anything is there any other way people can contact you you're on linkedin as well very easy to find there
1: Carrier pigeon smoke signal
0: <laughs> i tried smoke signal actually but i didn't get a reply <laughs> so i backed up on email and here we are <laughs> Okay. Claude, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Sam. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, www.bodyshotperformance.com, and click on Take the Test. It'll take you through to a short two to three-minute test, and at the end of that, you'll get a scorecard and a free 39-page report based on our six signals, sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please think of someone who could really benefit from the content and hit that share button and send it across to them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you very much for listening.